Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to Climbing the Pocket Network's In the Huddle, where your favorite Climbing the Pocket personalities get together and talk all things Minnesota Vikings. All right, we are back. We are live, and happy days are here again. We have got the OG crew from Climbing the Pocket. Uh, I guess I should introduce myself. My name is Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at Brown Jason. And we are here. We are back with the man, the myth, the legend, QB1, Jordan Reed. How you doing? How you been, man? I'm good, man. It's been far too long. Happy to be back and feels like forever since we all recorded together. It's true. It's true. It's true. And uh, Saxy Prince looking like he's in a in a lineup right now. I'm not sure what's going on <laughs> with the, with this with with this lighting, but uh, we're, we'll we'll get it figured out here. We'll get it figured out, Prince, man. Where where are you at today? Like what what's going on? Why, what 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 is going on with the setup today? It feels like old times, except your hair is a little longer. You know. It wouldn't be a climb the pocket show if Yinka wasn't mobile on location, crazy with antics and stuff. I'm still uh, getting out of a rehearsal uh, for a show I have later this week. Um, so you are seeing me in the car with the okay. overhead light on. So, you know, some crazy right. um, setup that I have going on in this car. Dave, you might have to go back to just the still picture of Yinka from the last one. I'm not sure if we'll be able to work with this the whole time, but we're going to jump right in. We got some folks in the comments already. Raymond is coming in hot. Mary is here. Vikings Jerome, as always. Jeffrey, what's happening? And uh, we got to jump right in. We got to talk about this game because, you know, JR, Yinka, I think pretty much everyone chalked this game up as an easy win when we were looking at it, it's the NFL. Like you shouldn't look past any opponent, but when you looked at the Vikings and you look at the Bengals, the Vikings have everybody on offense coming back minus Irv Smith. Bengals have Joe Burrow coming back from injury. Don't really know what they're going to be. Last year, their run defense was real suspect. We got Dalvin Cook. We heard all the reports. The O-line was supposed to be getting better. JR, your man, Ole Udo, was the star of camp. And then the game started, and they just did not look ready to play. So, JR, I'm going to kick it to you first on this one. I need you to help me out. What happened? Well, honestly, what happened was they got off to a bad start. And they never adjusted after that. And I think it was the very first drive. There was like three penalties, if I'm not mistaken. It was back to back to back. And then you talk about you want to make 
your first time play caller comfortable as possible. And I think that's something that a lot of people forgot on Sunday is that this was the first game that Clint Kubiak ever called as far as regular season when it actually mattered. And he looked really nervous and out of sync the entire first half. And he started to catch a groove a little bit in the third and the fourth quarter and then overtime where he started to find his playmakers. But he just looked out of sync. But it's kind of hard to blame him just because Rashad Hill was absolutely awful. Gary Bradbury was bad as well. And then Kirk Cousins was Sam Bradford in the first half. That's what it seemed like to me. He was just dinking and dunking all over the place. But it's hard to blame Cousins just because he just couldn't get comfortable back there. I mean, you have Larry Ogunjobi looked like Aaron Donald on Sunday, the way he was pushing around, (laughs) the way he was pushing around Gary Bradbury. So it's kind of hard to point the finger at a lot of people. Um, And I mean, Cousins wasn't great. I think he played much better in the second half and overtime as opposed to the first half when he opened up a little bit. But, I mean, I think it falls squarely on the shoulders of the offensive line and the penalties. I think that's something that just absolutely killed the offense. And, you know, Justin Jefferson had drops, everything. They just didn't have any chemistry. And I, I thought the defense played well in spots. Rashad Breeland just played too many snaps. And I didn't understand why they had Cam Dantzler inactive. I don't know if it's, if he's in a doghouse or whatever's going on there, but – you have to remember Bashad Breeland is coming off of an injury as well. He just played way too many snaps. Uh, I think that's something that I think they will adjust to going forward. Uh, I don't think Dantzler is going to be inactive this week. If he's inactive this week, I would be really surprised based on what uh, Breeland showed this past week. But I think the overall thing with that is just he just played way too many snaps and they didn't have anybody behind him that they trusted. So a lot of a lot of blame to go around, not specifically one position or one area besides the offensive line. Uh, So positive to take away from it, though. I think Michael Pierce was awesome. I thought he was great the entire game. Now, is that going to be sustainable as far as the output that he put up this week? No, he's not going to be going against Trey Hopkins, who was the worst greatest center, I think, in the league uh, last week. So he's not going to be going up against him every week. So they have to figure out a way to continuously create pressure. Daniel Hunter looked a little bit slow in the beginning, which is expected with him missing an entire year. He really didn't come into his own. And I think he got the sack in the fourth quarter. So the game started to slow down a little bit for him there. Kendricks was great, of course. Um, you know, I didn't really pay attention to the safeties a whole bunch. I thought Xavier Woods did have some standout plays. He came down here really nicely and had a, a pass breakup on one play. That was really nice. So, I mean, there's some encouraging things to take away from it, but this offense is going to be a work in progress, man. But Get healthy, Christian Derrissaw, because Rashad Hill is not it, man. <laughs> All right, well, Darren, we'll come it. back. We'll come back to some stuff on the office, but uh, Prince, I want to get you in here just for like your overall thoughts, because you know, in the group chat, you definitely uh, you know, had some things to say, and so not getting too deep into the nitty gritty of schemes or anything like that, or even really necessarily going into any of the players specifically. But when you are thinking about this game overall. What were your thoughts? What were your takeaways? And I guess, what do you think about the Vikings now versus maybe where you saw them coming into the season? Uh, They just didn't look prepared to play football. You know, uh, JR kind of mentioned the the penalties. The penalties were a big reason why they lost that game really early to start. Uh, Having back-to-back penalties, just even if they were, uh, you know, completely passes, it just didn't seem like anything was really clicking at any juncture of the day and you know i will say on paper this this does look like a really good fall team um and it was disappointing to see them not seem prepared and uh really at any phase um outside of special teams 
That, okay, I was about to say, um, don't be talking smack about the special teams, Yanka. They just, you they know, <laughs> number one in the league no, right they, now. They they played well. Like honestly, there was that. I know that 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 punt where he he got it inside. What was it like on the three yard line or the five yard line uh, towards the end of the game? I mean, it was brilliant. And I just, I just, I think like most Vikings fans, I think I'm a little bit disappointed because we we no one expected this team to be better. Um, did we expect them to come out that flat? No, not not. Oh, and oh, as is oh. a regular climbing the pocket custom, <laughs> Yanker's internet can't hold up. <laughs> we were prepared. David, throw the picture up. We can just have that hang until Yank is able to get himself next to the router. But Jr. Uh, Yanker brought up the point that most Vikings fans are talking about now. Vikings fans generally are frustrated by the fact that this team just didn't seem ready to play. And there's a lot of different things being thrown around. You've played uh, at a higher level than most of us, uh, you know, in the comments or on the podcast right now. And you've coached at a, at a, at a high level as well. And so where should the blame go when a team comes out and just looks that unprepared, unfocused in the first game of the season? Like, what is that all about? Because there's been a lot of talk about, is there a rift between Zimmer and Kirk? And it's like a lot of drama, a lot of things going on around the, the, the locker room this offseason. Whose fault is it when a team comes out and they're just that unprepared for the first game of the season after the entire offseason? It's on the coaching staff. Um, I think they just didn't look prepared like everybody was saying. And I didn't expect... Cincinnati to come out and move the ball as easily as they did in the second half. Now they did struggle a little bit in the first half moving the ball, but there was just so many boneheaded plays by the secondary. I mean, Breland, once again, Jamar Chase literally just ran by him. And I know he was, he was working a side side of technique of where he was keeping his eyes on the quarterback, but like, man, he ran past you. You got to open up and run and <laughs> try to chase him. He just kept looking back at the quarterback. So uh, I don't really understand what was going on there. The offense just looked completely unprepared. But once again, Kubiak had to throw out half of his playbook just because, I mean, I think the average was like what second and 20 every single drive. So it's really hard to incorporate some stuff that you want to do. And I thought Clint had he ran some good stuff. You saw the the reverse pass, to I think, from uh, Jefferson to Osborne. So you see some creativity with that. But I thought the offense was really stagnant. Um, maybe that's just because they were behind the chains so much. And last year, you saw getting Kirk out of the pocket a whole bunch, moving the pocket, changing the launch point. You saw a lot of motion as well. You didn't really see a lot of that stuff in this game. But maybe that's because, once again, you have, what, 10 first-half penalties, which was ridiculous, and I think 12 overall in the game, which could have been nearly 20 if they ended up accepting all of them. There was a bunch that they ended up declining. So you're not going to win a lot of football games that way. But whenever a team looks unprepared like that, Either there's a lack of chemistry or a rift somewhere or just fall squarely on the coaching staff of not getting them prepared for the game, which is what it looked like. So, like, what what does a coaching staff do to, to get a team prepared? Like, when there's that many, like, false starts and just mental mistakes all over the, the field, like, what does what is the coaching staff going to do? Like, what is the adjustment from last week's game to the next game that's going to get them kind of where they need to be and ready to go. It's tough because it's such a long season having 17 games now, but Kubiak, I think he just, it's, it's tough, man. I think the adjustment that he made in the second half was just, 
I'm going to go to my playmakers now. And they just started force feeding Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson and then Dalvin Cook as well. He just said, screw this. I'm going to just force feed it to those guys, even if it's undisciplined. So um, I think they just have to go back to the script of what they were going to do. Uh, I don't know necessarily what the game plan was, of course, but I mean, they got to figure out something with the center situation and then how to help Rashad Hill out, whether that's keeping Conklin in on some condensed sets just to widen the edge a little bit, or even, you know, running some more screens up the middle or whatever it is to get Bradbury out on the perimeter, just because it's, it's not going to get easier uh, the, the coming weeks. So it's going to be tough, man. And we know the Vikings always get off to a slow start. We saw it last year of where they got off to a very slow start, but I mean, there's no excuse for how they played on Sunday. It was just so sloppy. And you saw it in Justin Jefferson's face. Like every time they had a big game, he would look back for a flag. Even if there wasn't a flag, he was looking for it somewhere. So you don't want to be playing football like that. So Prince, uh, like JR's touched on a lot of the things, I guess on the defensive side of the ball, I guess, what was the most disappointing thing for you? Because I know for me anyway, looking at this defense on paper, and maybe I got caught up in the hype a little bit, but the expectation for me was that this defense was going to see a lot of improvement and that based on Zimmer's track record against young QBs, like this was like a, this was almost like a get-right game for the defense. Like They were supposed to come out and, and show out in this game. And when you look at it, EPA per play, like Burroughs was more efficient than Kirk Cousins in this game. His completion percentage over expectation was phenomenal. And yeah, I guess I'm, I'm just looking for your perspective to get an understanding. Like when you were looking at this defense, like what was the thing that surprised you the most about the team that showed up versus the team that we were all expecting? Yeah, I think, um, I think two things come to mind. Obviously the Vikings came away with five sacks, right? And obviously when you look at sacks, it's good. Um, but if I remember generating uh, overall pressure on Burrow, he seemed to be very, very comfortable. So I think that was a, when I when I rewatched the game, it just seemed like there wasn't very good communication happening um, from you know obviously the front seven and then obviously on the back end. Um, so that's something that I'm hoping that gets cleaned up. I think that's probably because of missing Anthony Barr. Maybe he is a uh, the focal point when it comes to communication between the two. Um, but I didn't see very much communication that was happening to um, have this defense have the teeth that it normally does have. Um, and then the second thing I would point to is like I don't really get a strong sense of leadership. Like who is who is this defense? What's the, what's their identity? Who is the person that is leading that charge with them? Um, you know, play after play, and I don't see that. You know, I you didn't really see the splash Eric Hendrick plays. You didn't really see. Um, Harrison Smith really be able to change the tide of the game. You didn't really see, um, you know, really that just like that, that secondary that Zimmer has prided himself on. Um, so with those two things, I really, I really think that the defense was honestly a lot more disappointing than the offense because I think, again, as we keep saying on paper, this defense should be a, a really, really good unit and they, they just were not. I just want to take a quick moment to give a shout out to the man, uh, Deshaun, who is quite possibly the only person, but he is the staunchest Stephen Weatherly supporter of all time. <laughs> There's still room for all the rest of you. If you want to get on the bandwagon with Deshaun, there is time. But he is letting us know that things went downhill when, you know, number one rated uh, run stopper Stephen Weatherly was out of the game. The Bengals took it at DJ Wanham. And that was the thing that turned the whole game. So we see you, Deshaun. We understand 
if Weatherly's in there and balling out, you know, none of this happens. You might, you know, like I said, you you might love Weatherly more than his own family does, but you know, he did he he was our highest rated defender. So I guess we gotta give him a bit of love. Bit of love after this game. And um yeah, Yinka, you just touched on something. You know, Vikings great Tommy Tommy Kramer, he said something very similar, but about the team in general, just overall. And JR, we probably go back a couple of years when you're like, who are the dogs on this team? This is something that we've we've brought up kind of somewhat consistently with the Vikings for a little bit here. And so when you, you know, watched and then rewatched this game, like who are the leaders on the team? Like the on-field leaders, we've already acknowledged that, you know, the coaching staff, they have some leading, they need to figure some stuff out from like a pregame leadership, in-game management, strategic standpoint. But who are the players that are the leaders of this team that are getting guys going, that are like pulling folks up when things aren't going the right way? Um, like, what did you see and what are your thoughts on what it's going to look like as we move forward? I mean, Cleveland tried uh, on offense, uh, defense. Everson Griffin has always been. <laughs> Everson Griffin has always been that guy, but he, he's a shell of himself and what he used to be. So it's kind of like, does he just lead by he can't lead by action anymore like he used to. And then he was an emotional leader as well. But he's just not that guy anymore. So. I honestly don't know who the leaders are on this team. Harrison Smith has never been that outspoken type of player. He's more of a lead by performance type of player. So I don't really think we have that outspoken dog type of player on this defense, which is something that's been lacking for a really long time, in my opinion. I think of any side of the ball, you definitely need it on that one. Um, I'm not a huge believer of leading by example. I think there's very few individuals that have done it like that and been successful with doing it on either side of the ball, honestly. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who any of the leaders are. Daniel Hunter's never been that outspoken guy either. So you're talking about all of our star players being more of those introvert type of players that are more lead by example. And yes, Adam, you are correct. As per usual, as is the custom, Yinka's internet is bad, but have no fear. <laughs> we have brought in a ringer to come through and help save the day. Also repping, you know, the West Coast. Flip, my man, come join the party. We're just here talking about all the things that disappointed us about this game. And I guess you're just you're just here. What was what? your takeaway and how you feeling? What is it that has you most upset about the Vikings losing this game that none of us thought they were supposed to lose? We got all we got all the pe- we got Jordan Yenka. Wow, we got Jablonski, Mary Fisk, Mr. Shea. Wow, I'm 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 happy to be here to rant with y'all. I have two comments just to start things off to touch on some things I heard. Uh, number one, Deshaun, you are not alone. I'm also a Weatherly stan. Okay, he's a he's a fellow Vandy alum, and we're gonna ride till we die together on that. I know a lot of people didn't want him back in purple. He's back in purple, and he's better than DJ Wanham. So. We're just going to have to live with that and hope for the best. Uh, Number two, you know, Jordan brought up a really good point about the leadership on the team. I've always regarded one person as a leader on the offense, and he fumbled the ball on the 38-yard line when we were driving into field goal range. Like Dalvin Cook, if he wants to be a good running back, sure, you know, he can do that. Sure, the refs were involved. If he wants to be the leader on this team, you cannot fumble that ball. You just can't do it. 
on defense, you know, we'll see if Pat Pete kind of steps more into that leadership role as the season goes on. But yeah, there definitely, there definitely uh, is some, some introversion, I think, which can work for a certain locker rooms. I'm not sure if it works for a Mike Zimmer locker room. You need a tough skin to be on a Mike Zimmer defense. You need great communication to be in a Mike Zimmer defense. So those are the two things that concern me. It's not necessarily that the defensive leadership is not there or that the coaching isn't there. It just seems like we have a really odd mix of all, how all these parts fit together. And that's something I've been uh, concerned about for a while now. I think we all have. So Flip, you just kicked the hornet's nest talking about the fumble. You got the comments talking about the refs. So I want your perspective because obviously there were a couple calls, you know, Justin Jefferson being one, Dalvin Cook at the, at the end of the game being another one to pour salt in the wound. We got tweets coming out today telling us that that was the most impactful play from a win probability perspective, that Dalvin Cook fumble that maybe wasn't a fumble, but like not enough to overturn it fumble. What are your thoughts on this? And is it on the refs that we lost this game? Like, where are you at with that, um, that thought process around like, yeah, you know, Dalvin, yes, you should hold on to the ball. You should be handing it to the ref, not chasing after it. Like, but like, did the refs take this game? Did they steal this game from the Vikings? This, this Yinka photo is hilarious. (laughs) 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 Uh, I I think what it comes down to is you go down 21-7, you put yourselves in a 21-7 hole early in the third quarter. You have to play perfect football to get out of that hole. I don't care who you're playing against. This is the NFL. Every team is good. Every team is going to start licking their chops when they get a 14-point lead in the second half. You have to play a perfect game. And so when you look at that Dalvin Cook fumble, is it's, it's debatable whether he was down or not, but it was not a perfect play for Dalvin Cook. You hold on to that ball. You get you hand it to the ref. You take a delay a game penalty before you let them rule that thing anywhere close to a fumble. And you also understand the game situation that you're on the edge of of field goal range. So you need to protect the ball there. So you have to play perfect football, given the situation that you put yourselves in. Strong, strong. So JR, I wanted to get you in here. I want to, I want to maybe hop back away from, from some of the, uh, the, the things that have people upset, I do want to talk a bit more about the scheme because one of the things that came up um, that David pointed out, and it was pointed out on the on the broadcast as well, is that our defensive line didn't seem to be coming downhill the way that maybe we're used to in the past. They weren't as aggressive. It wasn't the you – know, Daniel Hunter even was playing out of a two-point stance a little bit more often than maybe we're used to seeing him do it. Um, what were the Vikings trying or doing and what was different about just like the scheme on defense or even the scheme on offense that maybe you noticed when you were watching the game? Um, I think there was a lot of, they were trying to play man coverage early on. Um, and then, you know, Zimmer just started trying to heat Burrow up a little bit and then Burrow was doing a good job of escaping the pocket and then making some tough throws as well. But I think the thing that was the difference maker was Joe Mixon and him being able to make a bunch of people miss. And I think they had like eight or nine missed tackles, if I'm not mistaken. There was one play where 
Harrison Smith missed a tackle, then Eric Kendricks missed a tackle, and then somebody else missed another one. He got some extra yardage after that. So I think just incorporating Joe Mixon a little bit more than what a lot of people were expecting. I think that was a bit of a difference maker. And then I thought Nick Vigil played well for the most part. But, I mean, talent's eventually going to take over. And he was able to get the best of Vigil at some point. So Anthony Barr was definitely a huge loss when they started to incorporate Mixon. Um, and I think they just played a little bit too much man coverage. And I keep coming back to this. I think Bre- Breland just played way too many snaps. And, you know, it, it, that that car hit E in about the, the end of the third quarter. And we saw it after that. I mean, he just didn't have anything left in the gas tank. You saw him on his knees getting injured play after play. He just he just wasn't ready for that. So that's why I said I was shocked that Cam Dantzler was inactive before the game, and then they ended up playing Breland as much as they did. I think that was the difference maker in the game. I'm not blaming the game on Breland or anything like that. I just think he just played way, way too many snaps, and he wasn't ready for that. What was, well, I guess, you know, it's the other team, but what did you leave this game thinking about Jamar Chase? Because throughout preseason, like, he couldn't catch. That, that was the story. Like, Jamar Chase was not ready for prime time. What was it outside of Breland just maybe not needing to be out there playing? What was it you saw in his game maybe that seemed to catch the Vikings uh, off guard? He ran by by Breland. We're now seeing, you know, viral highlights of him putting Pat Pete in a blender. Like, what was Jamar Chase doing out there that we hadn't seen on film from him before? Because the Vikings did seem a bit unprepared for what he was bringing. Well, you have to remember he is a rookie as well. You're not used to seeing him on a weekly basis. And I think he's one of those players where people made way too much out of the whole white stripes on football thing. And I kind of really understood what he was saying, just because if you look and all of us are throwing a football back and forth with somebody, it makes a difference when you're seeing those white stripes spin on the ball. It kind of gives you a gauge of how fast it's coming. But if it's just one color and you're seeing that color constantly spinning, you can't really tell how fast it's coming at you. So I think people took that way out of context of what he was saying. But, I mean, he was plucking the ball out of the air on Sunday easily. So um, I think it's just one of those circumstances of where you didn't see him satisfying a bunch of those roles in preseason just because he didn't have a lot of confidence. But once he caught that that first touchdown pass, I mean, he was super confident after that. And you know whenever a player catches confidence, he catches fire. And we know with the chemistry that him and Burrow had during their days at LSU, he didn't have any problems at all. You know, liven up those 50-50 balls to him. That's what he made a living out of when he was at LSU as well. And, I mean, Chase is going to be a good player. I think it's a situation of they didn't have a whole bunch of film on him as far as what he was going to do. And then he's one of those players of where when you play him, you're like, man, this dude is much better in person than when he looked on film. I think it was a little bit (laughs) more of that too. Yeah, and and Flip, take us to the other side of the ball because I feel like this game in many ways was vindication for your takes – through the summer, through the off season, because, you know, many of us, myself included, were clamoring for the arrival of D.D. Westbrook. But K.J. Osborne was the one who, who stole the show. So the Vikings had to open things up a little bit more, obviously falling behind. Irv Smith's not there. They're playing a lot more three wide. What were your thoughts on the Vikings weapons outside of like the big three? It was great. It was great to see KJ Osborne take a stronghold of the wide receiver three spot, especially to start the year. I'm not saying it's baked and done. I'm not saying DD Westbrook still, you know, is, is going to be the wide receiver four or doesn't have an impact to make over the course of this season. But 
Uh, I, I, it's just great to see a youngster there. And it's great to see Amir Smith-Marset at least, you know, dress and play on special teams. It's good to see Tyler Conklin, you know, be stable as a primary tight end. He looked way more prepared and competent than Chris Herndon did. And that's not a, that's not a slight on Chris Herndon. It's just a lot for him to take in after the trade, you know, only a few days to prepare for the season. So I think that Tyler Conklin and KJ Osborne are things that you can hang your hat on. And it's really nice to be able to say that after just one game, because we weren't even able to say those sort of things about Justin Jefferson, you know, at this time last year, KJ Osborne had a tremendous off season was basically uh, a forgotten about player at the end of the 2020 season. And now, yeah, he looks competent. He looks, dynamic he looks hungry when the ball is in his hands and he's releasing well when the ball isn't in his hands it's great to see that Uh, I think that you start to think about what's happening here and the team went one and five to start next season and the team is 0-1 right now with games at Arizona before facing Seattle and Cleveland at home there are going to be some trials and tribulations here hopefully that does not that does not, you know, take down the entire 2021 season. But you have to ask yourself, if we're sitting here after a failed 2021 season and we're looking at 2022, do you want a K.J. Osborne with experience and a, a full year of solid wide receiver play, wide receiver three play? Or do you want D.D. Westbrook, who's walking after this year, regardless of how he plays or not? So, Always favor the youngster when the season starts to go south, and it's good to see that right off the bat. Hey, Jr., remind me a little bit. What was the scouting report on on KJ Osborne? Like, what was it that uh, maybe the Vikings saw in him that that's allowed him to develop into uh, you know the star of training camp this year, and and you know player who who went out there and showed out on uh, on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, he was really productive when he was at Miami, but he was one of those players that. He didn't have a super high ceiling, not an overly twitchy type of player, but really good as far as a route technician. And then he's going to give you a lot of value on special teams. As we've seen, I mean, he's going to be on every special teams unit. He had punt return and kick return experience when he was at Miami. And he probably would have went a little bit higher if he tested better. He wasn't an overly great tester either, but always had strong hands. I was able to pluck the ball out of the air as well. It's just the ceiling that you always worried about with him. He's kind of those player that's always going to be just a guy but he's always going to play forever as a wide receiver three or four just because he plays special teams and then he's always going to be where he's supposed to be as far as a route runner too all right so we haven't really you uh i I can't believe you didn't mention the fact he was a team captain i mean that's the most important part yeah that's the most (laughs) important part (laughs) so we we haven't really got into it too much we haven't really talked very much kirk cousins because like I mean, I feel like that's all anyone ever wants to talk about. But it also seems like folks in the comments, you know, Raymond reminding us that this game wasn't Kirk's fault. Others talking Kirk in here. Tyler, as always, stirring the pot, getting folks worked up about it. So let's just run through it real quick. After one week, Kirk Cousins ranked eighth in PFF grade. Uh, If we're looking at this particular game, as we mentioned earlier, his uh, EPA per play, was 0.17. That was behind what Joe Burrow was able to do in this game. As per per usual, Kirk Cousins' completion percentage, incredible. But part of the reason that his completion percentage was as good as it was is that his average depth of target for this game 
was 6.3 yards compared to 8.5 for Joe Burrow in this game. So we weren't really airing the ball out. We weren't really going downfield with it. A um, lot of lot of drop-offs, a lot of checkdowns, letting Dalvin and others go to work afterwards. And when you look at where the team kind of fell out from an offensive perspective overall, uh, our performance kind of puts us like, eh, you know? Like, our rushing EPA per play, awful. Passing EPA per play, eh, just kind of okay. Like, nothing really special. Kirk, certainly, it was like, he wasn't, it wasn't his fault we lost, but like our team also didn't play great, even though he put up a lot of kind of yards, like the team didn't play great. So JR, you are our QB one, you know, you played the position in college, you've coached, obviously you scout now as, as your, as your main job. When you kind of watch this game, watch Kirk's performance, tell me what it is that you're taking away from this outside of what you said before, which is like, it took him a little bit to get in the groove. It just looked really unsettled and they just didn't have any, any chemistry early on. And like I told you guys in the chat, I mean, I felt like I was watching Sam Bradford that first half. It's like he was looking at his first option. If the first option wasn't there, I'm going to just dump it to Dalvin Cook or my my outlet right now. And I just think there were some situations of where he was just holding the ball a little bit too long. And I don't have access to the all 22, so I can't assess him as far as what was open down the field. And if he was just passing stuff up just because he didn't trust the protection that was in front of him. But I thought there were some opportunities of where he could have used his legs as well just to stay ahead of the chains, even though it was, you know, second and 15 or second and 20. You could kind of cut it in half in hopes of getting it to like third and 10 or third and 12 or something like that, as opposed to just keep passing the ball diagonally or behind the line of scrimmage to Dalvin Cook, which is what he was doing. But like I said, I don't think it was Kirk's fault. I just think he was really unsettled. But the thing about Cousins is that whenever he gets down, when it was 21 to 7, that's when he starts firing. And I've never understood that about him. Like, why can't you come out and just fire on all cylinders like that from the beginning? So that's something that I think he's always struggled with. It takes a lot of pressure for him to just come out and start slinging the ball as opposed to uh, whenever – you know, just come out firing. But I thought something that didn't help Kirk either was they didn't move the pocket at all. We didn't see a bunch of bootlegs. Uh, like I thought Kubiak last year did an outstanding job of that, of just changing the launch point with him. Um, he's really comfortable throwing to his left off of that boot action too. But, you know, with the way that Hill was struggling, then Bradbury was just getting bullied into the backfield. It's really hard to do stuff like that. So I think that's something that especially – my guy playing Chandler Jones this week, they're going to have to move the pocket just because if they're relying on Rashad Hill uh, to consistently hold up against him, I mean, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. We're going into this game with one hand tied behind our back. So they're going to have to move the pocket a little bit, give them some help as well. So I'm looking for more play action as far as bootlegs. And then, I mean, they even had a couple seven-step drops, like old North Turner offense from under center that they had Kirk doing as well. So I think that's something that they have to improve upon, just getting him out of those situations because that's not Kirk's game. Yeah, so talk to us about that a little bit because that's one of the major gripes that we've heard from Vikings fans is that play action, it makes the game easier for quarterbacks. It's something that Kirk was very, very good in last year, and we just didn't do it. I think I want to say it's like 15% of the time we drop back, we, we use play action. Um, what are some of the reasons that play action – was not an option potentially for the Vikings, uh, given what they had going on in this game. Like, is it just that they were behind or do you need your offensive line to be able to hold up better than maybe where the Vikings were at in this game to be able to do some of the things they wanted to do? 
I think it's a combination of a lot of things. You had a left tackle that was struggling. So you just want to get the ball out as quickly as possible just because you want to stay ahead of the chains. And then uh, they just didn't have any rhythm. And I think that's what happened with Kubiak, him being the first time play caller. You saw a lot of panic on some play calls. Um, so it's just a matter of them being able to stay ahead of the chains and then taking some of those shot plays down the field. And Kirk did take some shots down the field here and there. Um, and there, there was hit or miss as far as the success with that. But I would like to see them be a little bit more aggressive this week, especially with the Cardinals secondary. I think there's a lot of holes back there. I think their front seven is pretty stout for the most part. But I think their weakness is the secondary. So I look for them to come out and try to take some more shots down the field just because you're going to have to score points to beat this offense this week. And I'm going a little bit ahead, but we know how Mike Zimmer defense is against these scrambling quarterbacks or ones that play that sandlot football. And we know that's what Kyler Murray is able to do. So they're going to have to put up some points this week in order to win. All right, well, let's talk about it. Flip, we got this game coming up and it's funny how things change where like, you know, one game is played, all our priors get thrown out the window, Vikings are supposed to beat the Bengals, they lose to the Bengals, and now most of us who maybe thought the Vikings should beat the Cardinals are looking at those highlights of Kyler Murray running around, looking at DeAndre Hopkins doing what he does, we look at Chandler Jones out there looking like prime LT, and we've gone the other way. This game is now, there's, there's no possible way we can win this game. I'm looking for you, Flip. Bring us back. Ground me a little bit. What are you thinking about? How's this game with the Cardinals going down? We we got some fire in these comments, man. We we got some look at the data <laughs> comments. We got we pay Kirk too much money comments. It's uh it's wild in that that conversation's wild in there. I want Raymond is not out. here for your BS today. Raymond's not here <laughs> for it. <laughs> I think Yink is going to sack one of us the more I think of that. Wow. <laughs> I think you'd I be my, okay. Yeah, I want to get a quick shout out to, to Facebook peeps, Rob, Thomas, Randy, and Billy for joining us. Uh, how do I see our offense working against the Cardinals defense? Yeah, you know, I think you have to just say that Chandler Jones is going to be a game wrecker for us. I am not here to say I've done some deep dive on the Cardinals. I was halfway through watching their game when when I jumped on. But it, it starts for the Vikings with not shooting yourself in the foot. And I think at least if we can get that and get to a rhythm, that's probably half the battle. Do I think that we're going to have a tougher time on the defensive ball side of the ball? Certainly. Uh, do I think that cleaning up our mistakes is going to be enough for us to beat Arizona? No, because, you know, you can account for Chandler Jones. The second you overcompensate for Chandler Jones, don't forget J.J. Watts there too, and he's going to be going against the interior, which is actually the weakness in the Minnesota Vikings offensive line. So there's a lot of things that need to improve from game one to game two. Clint Kubiak needs to be held responsible for making those improvements. Mike Zimmer certainly needs to be held responsible. And yes, the quarterback, Kirk Cousins, need to make sure that his guys are lined up on the right side of the ball, unaffected by that game noise, and ready to play clean football. Give me that. Give me that in the first quarter of the game, and let's go from there. Let's not, you know, go down, go down big in this game. Let's at least keep it even and not feel like we've lost control by the time that halftime rolls around. And then hopefully, yeah, maybe we can shock the Cardinals. 
JR, how do we get Kirk off to a to a fast start? Like, how do we stop Chandler Jones from being that game wrecker that everyone's expecting him to to be? What can we do? What adjustment can we make to maybe have our guys get in that flow, in that rhythm, have the Cardinals playing on their heels in this game? Success early on, and it's hard, man. Any level of football is hard to win on the road, and I think that's something that they struggled with last week, getting off to the bad start. You get the crowd involved in the game as well. Um, just getting on to a fast start. So a bunch of screens, outside zone, making those guys run to try to beat them with ankles, get Dalvin Cook going early on in the passing game and the screen game as well. Justin Jefferson, um, I think he's better than any player that they have in the secondary. Uh, Byron Murphy, Buda Baker's a good player as well. They like to use him around the box as well. He's good at covers too, but I think there's some advantageous matchups that they can take advantage of with him and Thielen. So, I think this is one of those games of where they're going to have to pass the ball a little bit more um, than we're accustomed to seeing, just because I think the Cardinals are pretty stout up front. Isaiah Simmons is coming to his own. Zayvon Collins looked good in week one as well in the middle. So then, of course, they got J.J. White and Chandler Jones, too. So the Cardinals are talented up front, but their secondary, I think, just has a lot of questions, especially at corner. I think there's some. I think this is a big game of where we could see ATN Jefferson get 100 yards apiece or more. I think it's that type of game. They're going to have to push the ball down the field to beat this team the problem is they're not the way Mike Zimmer's talking they're not they're not looking to pass the ball more Zimmer is already thinking we're passing the ball too much so I mean what's Zim want us to do when we're down 14 right Right, like what like like, we're down we're down 14 and Dalvin's going (laughs) for three yards a clip like what are we supposed to do yeah he's out of ideas y'all remember that time when we heard that Kirk and Zimmer sat down and talked about how to attack defenses together. Y'all remember when we thought that, that was going to make a damn difference? <laughs> that feels like years ago now. Maybe they should Mike, go back Mike, to not talking to each other. Maybe that's what Mike, we Mike, need. <laughs> Mike Zimmer probably probably fainted watching the Cowboys and the Bucks game. Seeing them only have, what, 12 <laughs> rushing attempts and throwing the ball as many times as they did. He probably fainted watching that game. Watching Zeke oh, Elliott man. just twiddling his thumbs <laughs> in the backfield. Oh, man. All right. So, uh, yeah, we covered that. We covered that. I guess, you know, we pretty much touched on, like, all the things we want to. The stuff in the comments, I mean, that's the usual stuff that we talk about on most days. We can wait until the offseason to argue about Kirk Cousins and his contract. We got actual games to talk about now. Uh, before we get up out of here, Flip. Any parting words, any parting shots, anything that we didn't touch on that you want to make sure we cover before we wrap this thing up? Hey, Mr. Shea said it, or at least our kicking game looked great. Our punter was phenomenal. Uh, I want I want everyone listening, I want the fans, I want us to start thinking about the X factors, the things that we don't we may not be able to account on. Uh, against Arizona what's the surprise what are the good surprises that we can look forward to we may be able to look forward to Chris Herndon with another week of practice under his belt making a difference you know we may be look be able to look forward to another game closer to getting Garrett Bradbury out of the starting lineup so be looking <laughs> for that positive during this game <laughs> <laughs> Looking for the positives is is Garrett Bradbury getting benched? I mean, <laughs> damn, flip! <laughs> it's time. Is is Mason cold season? Cold season. Okay, 
All right, JR, how about you? When you're looking at this, is there anything else that you want to touch on? Anything else that you're thinking about when you look at this matchup with Arizona? Or just anything that maybe you want to, to plug or let the folks know they need to be checking out on Draft Network or anywhere else you're dropping work these days? It is week one. I will say that. And there's a bunch of new moving pieces on this defense. I will say offense, there's not as many excuses, uh, I think. But you have to remember, it was a first-time play caller ever. And he kind of was placed in a bad situation from start to finish. And I think there was some high moments with what Clint Kubiak called. I think he showed um, a lot of guts with the the pass with Jefferson and Osborne. There was some excitement with that. And there was some other excitement and exciting plays throughout the game. So I think it's one of those situations where there's going to be some growing pains early on. And I think he's going to grow as the season goes along. But just remember, this is a first time play caller as well. This is his first year ever calling plays. And it's different being a position coach, giving suggestions as opposed to being the person calling in the play to the quarterback. It's much different, which is his first time doing that. So keep that in mind, especially the earlier portions of the season. But having said that, 0-4 could be staring us in the face. And I know we're being positive right now. You talk about hey, we're first in Arizona the NFC North, this son. week. Arizona this week. Um, what who we have after that? Uh, Seattle, Seattle and then Cleveland. Cleveland. So, and then Cleveland. It doesn't, it doesn't get any easier. So this team definitely has to pick it up or it's going to get really ugly in Minnesota, gonna, especially if they come out and perform like on, they did. We're going to get you Oof. back on to talk about some quarterbacks real soon, JR, if it goes that way. <laughs> <laughs> Raymond says 11 and 6. So, uh, this is the wrong class if we're talking about quarterbacks. It's not good. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> okay, we, we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that. Well, that's it. <laughs> we made it all the way through. It was good to have the boys back. Flip, thanks for coming in. We had to, uh, to to call an audible there, get you in here, get Yinka and the shaky internet up out of here. Everyone, shout out to Miles. He's doing what he does, you know, father of the year things, stepping in, doing what he needed to do there. But uh, yeah, it was good to be back. All of the folks in the live chat, hanging out with us, you know, arguing with each other. You know, thanks for coming in. Thanks for the engagement. And anyone listening to the podcast later on, you should be here live with the rest of us. You know, go to YouTube. There's a new show coming up every day. Like, subscribe, ring the bell, all that stuff. Tomorrow, Vikings Happy Hour. Matthew Anderson and the crew will be here. Uh, Dave, come on in. Join us. Hey, everybody. Hey, buddy. We can't see you, but we can hear you. Is there yeah. anything else we need to do before we go? That's what I think of. Um, you nailed everything. We got a show just about every single day of the week, baby, live. And I do want to thank everybody that came across via Facebook tonight. This is the first time we've done a scheduled show that simultaneously broadcast to YouTube. Both pages on Facebook, the Daily Norseman page and the Climb in the Pocket page, and also on the Twitter a little tidbit, if you're on Facebook and you like sports art, check out the Climbing the Pocket page and you'll get my almost daily art of the day. Today it you is got dope. two. Today you got the magic of the special teams and you got Jordan Reed's favorite quarterback in the huddle, <laughs> Mr. Dante Culpepper. Can't do nothing but get your roll on. Mm -hmm. Got to get your roll on. <laughs> and we got Flip here. 
Yo, come back Thursday. Vikings hot takes. Never disappoints. But that's it. That's all. David, play the music. You got it. First, make sure you're stocked up for tomorrow night. Happy hour. It's going to be a good one. Let's go. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell. And if you're listening on your favorite aggregator, make sure you rate us. And always feel free to join the conversation here at Climbing the Pocket. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.